Thank you. You may be seated and turn with me to the book of Colossians. This is likely going to be our final day, our final Sunday, teaching from the book of Colossians. And we have quite a bit of text to cover this morning, but primarily we're going to be looking at some names that are listed there at the closing of Paul's letter. And I believe we'll be starting in verse 7 and then reading through to the end of our letter here. It's likely that our next study will be in the book of Philemon, and you'll see the connection here as we go through this study together why the book of Philemon ties in to the end of the book of Colossians. So if you've made your way there to that place in Scripture, Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 is where I'll begin, and then I'll read to the end of the letter. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers of Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And this morning, you've probably already noticed that we will be going through a lot of names, and I used to struggle with these passages in Scripture where we do have a lot of names listed, and I would just read through them without really taking any time to study it. And this is just typical of Paul and how he closes his letters in in this fashion. And I usually have to read through passages like this uh, more than I would usually because I'm often worried more about how I pronunciate the names and then I lose sight of the context, so I always have to come back. Once I get the names down, then I can see what is it that I really need to be getting here. It's it's the words that are really surrounding the names, not necessarily the names themselves. But if you just dismiss these ending parts and not give them much attention, you miss a lot of the rich teaching that God has for us. And so I've had to practice myself at being intentional with these times in Scripture about devoting just as much study to these sections, if not more sometimes, in order to glean the richness that God has for us in his word. And this text is no different. If the Spirit of God writing this through faithful men chose to put this here, then it wasn't for wasted space on the scroll. It's intended for our benefit, it's intended for our good, and it's important for us to search for the riches that are hidden away, and I want to encourage you as I remind myself, don't skip over any part of the scripture. Just because you see a list of names or things that you think are not interesting or text that is just too difficult, 
Maybe it's even too convicting sometimes, but that is there for us. That is our instruction, it is God's truth. So give attention to all of it and you will find blessing there. And that's one of the reasons why we as a church have chosen to go through God's word on Sunday morning studies in an expository way. We don't wanna miss anything that God has for us in his word. So in this letter to the church in Colossae, we have looked at some very rich doctrinal truths that we must understand so that we are not tempted away by false doctrines. Paul has isolated several of the false teachings that have gone on in the church in Colossae, and they haven't really stumbled into them yet, but there is a danger in that, and so he's giving them warnings, and we're not going to cover all of those. Uh, We did that when we did a deeper dive into that text, but it is important that we understand the sufficiency of Christ, and we understand the supremacy of Christ, that he is over all, that he is God. And that we are fully convinced that he is the son of God, that he was with the father from eternity past and he is with the father now currently ruling and reigning at his hand and he is the one who is making intercession for us in our prayers to the father and he will one day return for his bride, the church. The doctrinal meat of the letter, we've kind of left that behind us, but now Paul has pretty much um, left that theme and now he wants those who are hearing the letter that to understand who the faces are uh, behind this letter as it goes out. Uh, It's an affectionate touch to the letter as it's read and it lets those who are reading it know that they are not in this alone and that Paul is not in this alone. You know, if Paul had a cell phone today with the video chat feature, we could almost view this as like him going around the room with this turned on and he's looking at everybody who's there with him writing the letter and he's like, well, here's Tychicus, which is my new nickname for Jody. No, <laughs> or here's Aristarchus and here's Demas. And here's people. I'm sorry, it won't be my new, new nickname for you. All right, I'm gonna hear about that one later. <laughs> But you could see this, that this could be something that was going on if if Paul had that technology. But this is his way of showing the church in Colossae that this is like a portrait of the church that he's showing them. And this is who this is. And this is not just a name, but there is a character. There is essence in this person's name. When I say this, that you should know this about him or her. And I think that's important for us to know. And these are even examples as believers in the body of Christ that we could strive to pattern our lives after. You know, as we all seek to pattern our lives first and foremost after Christ and be molded and shaped to his image, there are good examples that we have in watching others and learning from those, of, uh, those who uh, Paul mentions here that were part of the early church and were there with him as he's uh, writing this letter. And we can see that God intended for the church to be more than just a single person that is going at it alone. You know, God did not intend for it to be Ray Sosa and no one else. He did not intend for it to be um, Phil or, or Barry and them going at it alone. It is, is unity, is a combination of our, our gifts and our talents being used to serve and glorify God. Solomon, who was gifted with incredible knowledge of God, the most uh, wise person who really ever walked the earth besides Christ himself, who was God, he says to us in Ecclesiastes chapter four there, and you can turn with me to that passage. This is a letter 
that he wrote later in life. We looked at the book of Proverbs for a couple of years together, and Ecclesiastes was written more towards the end of his life as he's an older man, but he says this concerning that, that unity that we need to look to in Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12, says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And we've seen in the book of Colossians, we've seen it in our references to the book of Ephesians because there's so many parallels here. We see it in other letters of Paul to his church, how the, the church is likened to a body that is held together by a shared experience that is found in salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so we have that binding agent who now indwells us by his Holy Spirit. And that is what serves to hold the unity of the church together. We are in Christ and so we are united together in him. Colossians 3, 14 through 15, just to reference back to earlier in our study in Colossians, here's where Paul mentions that unity where he says, and above all, that's verse 14 of chapter three, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. They, the church in Colossae and those in Laodicea uh, were a community of faith and that is what I want us to see as well in the closing of this letter. It was a close-knit group of people and they each valued, or they were each valued by Paul in his ministry and they each had their own ministries. They were serving alongside each other, uh, committed to the cause of Christ and his church and this is the church that we should want to be. As we look at these individuals that were with Paul, we get a sense of their character and their value to the church and the value that they had to Paul himself. And it is what is behind the name that is important, that they did their part in service to God and his kingdom and his glory. And all these men and women are very important to Paul in his ministry, and that is evidenced here in this passage. And so now let's come back into this passage, beginning in verse 7. And then we'll begin to take a deeper dive in. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So Tychicus had a job, right? Paul's telling them that Tychicus will go back with this letter and tell the people about Paul's activities. So not only does he carry the letter of Colossians with him, but it is likely that he is carrying with him or he will be carrying the letters to the Ephesian church as well. And he probably has Philemon in hand. So here Tychicus is, is trusted with the care of these letters arriving at their destination. And remember that Tychicus couldn't just hop in his vehicle and drive a few hours to get to these destinations. The trip to Rome, from Rome where they were to Colossae was a difficult one. And so Tychicus would have, first have to cross much of Italy by foot 
and then he was to sail across the Aegean Sea, and this was the path to get to Colossae, um, then to the coast of, which was to the coast of Asia Minor, and then after all that, he faced yet another journey on foot, nearly a hundred miles. Imagine walking that. That's definitely not a day's journey. And imagine walking that just to reach Colossae. And that was what he was entrusted to do and to also keep these letters with him. That was the most important thing is that they receive them. And these inspired books of scripture, um, once again, Paul indicates that he trusts him. And he has also mentioned in Ephesians that being called upon for the same service and that was probably um, an indication that he had the letter to the church in Ephesus as well. We know that Paul has been serving with Tychicus for a while because we do find Tychicus's name uh, mentioned in the book of Acts when Paul is making his way back to Jerusalem at the end of his journeys before his imprisonment. If you turn to Acts chapter 20 verse 4, here we can find this name mentioned once again. Acts chapter 20 and look at verse 4. Oh boy, I have some more names to pronounce. <laughs> Sopater, the Berean, son of Phyrus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. So here he is mentioned much earlier back. Uh, Paul includes him in a list of names here of those who were accompanying him in his ministry. And then he's also mentioned, as I said, in the book of Ephesians as well. And it is this letter that... Uh, the book of Ephesus that he is likely delivering. But in Ephesians 6.21, you don't have to turn there, you can just write it in your notes. Uh, here is where Tychicus is, is mentioned again. He says, so that you may also know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. And we're spending some time on this name because Paul um, does say a lot about him we can see that he was a responsible person, that he was a follower of the Lord, but there are three things that Paul says specifically of Tychicus and his character. And one is that he is a beloved brother. So we get the idea of the relationship between Paul and Tychicus, um, that he is one who is called a brother, but not just any brother, he is a beloved brother. And to be beloved and have that mentioned of you in scripture Things that someone, you know, valued your relationship very much, that this was someone that Paul really trusted so much that he loved him dearly. And this is also used only to describe Christians. You can be loved, but you can also be the beloved. And when you see the beloved mentioned in Scripture, it is more often used to describe those who are believers. Uh, back in Colossians 3.12, it says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, Holy and beloved, that means beloved of God, especially loved of God, those called into salvation. And then it's compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience as these other things that we put on. But this is Tychicus. He was a faithful minister to the Lord. We know he is a believer. Paul calls him a brother, but he goes more than that. He calls him a beloved brother. And then he says that he is a faithful minister. And to minister 
simply means one who serves. It doesn't mean the guy up here giving the message every Sunday or those that are teaching Sunday school lessons or other studies in the church, that those are the only ones called to be minister. The word minister simply means those who serve. That's all of us within the church. We are all called to be ministers unto the Lord with the various gifts that he has given us. You know, we are ministering when we're sweeping or mopping floors or cleaning the restrooms. We are ministering when we're out there feeding the homeless or serving the community in various ways or just sharing concern with those at work and sharing scripture with them. Those are the various ways that we as believers are all called to minister. And we are guided by the Lord in in what he wants of us in terms of our service to him. So he has been by Paul's side, coming back to Tychicus now, he's been by Paul's side serving him and serving the church as the one who's bringing these letters. And then he's also given the responsibility of recounting what Paul and others have been doing in service to God. He's probably given them uh, some encouragement and sharing with them what Paul has been going through, you know, that he is in prison and here's Here's an update on Paul's health. Here's how we can be praying for him, but more importantly, here is how we can be praying about opening the doors for the effectiveness of the gospel, which is what we studied in our our focus on prayer last Sunday. So more than that, though, he is going to encourage the believers in Colossae, and that's what Paul also says that Tychicus would be doing. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister, fellow servant of the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. You know, Paul knew um, that this was something that Tychicus was probably gifted in, that he could encourage believers. Uh, there may have been some discouragement uh, felt by many since Paul was in prison. And where do we go? You know, what do we do now? So those who are discouraged don't need fuel added to their discouragement. We don't need to surround ourselves with people that are just going to bring us down even further than we already are. One who is discouraged needs someone who can encourage them. And we have the hope that is everlasting and we serve the God who is all powerful and that he knows all things and we need to be encouraged by each other. We need to encourage them that God knows and that he understands and he has you in this place for a purpose and that purpose is to glorify him and seek those opportunities that he will show you and how you can minister to others no matter what circumstance you find yourselves in. You know, this world is getting pretty bad and we can sometimes think that it is all out of control you know, but we encourage each other to take heart because it's not out of God's hands. God knows everything that is going on. He is sovereign over it. And as Jesus said, he um, that overcomes the world is the one in Christ. Our hope is found in a life with him and the promise of eternity regardless of if this world is falling apart as it seems to be around us because it's supposed to. But take heart, he has overcome the world and in him we too John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. See, that is something that's promised. He says, but take heart, he has overcome the world. And then in 1 John 5, 4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is a victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So what was 
Tychicus speaking to them in terms of encouragement, I'm sure it was related back to their salvation being that foundation that gives them this hope that we have in him, the fact that we, we do overcome the world by our faith in him and that we are still to serve because we have this living hope found in Christ. So he is a fellow servant in the Lord, but Paul doesn't list out any ranking or privilege here. Paul is not saying he is one of any more value than Tychicus himself, but a fellow servant. And it's interesting enough, though, that just a side note here, Tychicus's name means fortunate or fortuitous, and how fortunate he was to have this privilege to deliver this letter and then to also to bring encouragement and serve those who are in the church in Colossae. Very fortuitous, don't you think? All right. Well, I'm kind of tired of saying the name Tychicus because I keep on thinking someone's going to say bless you. So let's just move on to this next name here. <laughs> and with him, Onesimus. Verse nine. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place. So along with Tychicus is Onesimus. He's also described as one who is faithful and beloved and being that he is one of them means that he belonged to the church. And this is very important because we will be following more of Onesimus' story as we will be going to the book of Philemon probably next Sunday, as early as next Sunday. Um, one of the things we, could, we need to know about Onesimus is that he was a slave to Philemon, who was one of the leaders at the church in Colossae. So as this, church, as this letter is being read to the church in Colossae, there is Philemon, whose slave Onesimus has run away. And here now, Onesimus is with them. He's part of this church. He's part of the faithful brethren being listed here by Paul. And we will see how this story unfolds as we go through the book of Philemon, how reconciliation is made between Onesimus and Philemon and how it is sought through Paul. Um, but we will kind of put a placeholder there with that name. But even with this checkered history, it reminds us, you know, that we all come from a checkered past and that we all stumble in sin, that sins need to be forgiven and that we need a savior to forgive those sins. And in spite of this, Paul describes Onesimus as faithful and beloved. And he is also a slave. And in Galatians 3, 28 through 29, this is where Paul kind of writing of that level ground that is at the foot of the cross. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now, obviously, at this point, Onesimus has trusted in Christ as a savior, and I don't want to give too much away at this point. We'll just hold off on that until we get to the book of Philemon together. He, along with Tychicus, has been given the responsibility and that privilege as well to give the account of Paul's situation. So where Tychicus might leave out some things about Paul and, and his journeys and his stories up to this point, I'm sure Onesimus is there to kind of fill in things as they deliver this. Verse 10 and 11, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So we have a greeting here uh, through Paul from Aristarchus, Aristarchus, 
And he is a Jewish believer, and we can gather that from what Paul says about him in verse 11, and he includes him with three others that are there, or two others that are there if you include Aristarchus. Um, But he does have a Greek name, and that's what can be confusing, confusing to some. But this was typical for Jews that were part of what they called the diaspora. Um, That was the dispersion of the Jews from their homeland in Jerusalem and they went out into other regions and that happened mainly when the persecution of the early church started that the Jews would go out and they would adopt some of the Greek names rather than holding on to their Jewish names more to kind of blend in with culture. But he was a Jew, though not by name. And in the book of Acts, we learn that he was from Thessalonica And that's in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. We read that earlier. That's where Tychicus is mentioned. He's also mentioned again in Acts 27, 2. Um, And there he was seized by the rioting mob who recognized him as one of Paul's companions. So even there he was serving by Paul's side faithfully such that he was taken in uh, when they seized the the folks that were gathering in, in home churches and studying God's word and they were seeking to disrupt that. Um, but he was there faithfully serving along Paul uh, at an early time. And he was also with Paul on his voyage to Rome at the very end of Acts in chapter 27, verse 4. If you want to write that down for your notes, we're not going to turn that there necessarily, but just so you know where Aristarchus' name first appears. But because Paul describes him as a fellow prisoner, most scholars don't take this to mean that he was necessarily a prisoner with Paul in a Roman cell or under Roman guard, but rather that he had given up his own freedoms and his own comforts in order to minister to Paul's needs while he was in prison. So it is almost like he did become a prisoner himself because he could have chosen you know, life, maybe he had a family, maybe he could be there with them and he could be you know, working a job and earning his living and not have to give a thought towards Paul, but here he chose to submit himself uh, to minister to Paul and to do it in a way that was comforting and would bring uh, help to Paul. So there in that fashion, he was a fellow prisoner, although he may have not been actually in chains. Aristarchus was in a sense, he was sharing in Paul's sufferings um, so that he didn't have to go at it alone. I think it's a great illustration of a faithful servant doing his part regardless of where he stood in terms of prominence within the early church. And that's, for me at least, what his name stands out as uh, and how it stands out as a great example for us that our service may not get recognized or it may not make it anywhere into church literature or the annals of church history, but our responsibility is to do what the Lord called us to do and not worry about where our name appears. Will it ever appear in a church bulletin or in some famous publication or will we have any notoriety? That's not what should concern us us are we serving the Lord faithfully and are we willing to serve to the point where we are willing to come alongside a brother who is imprisoned and maybe that is in a physical way although we haven't recognized that here yet I think in the United States but maybe that one day will one come are we willing to go that far in our ministry to others and trying to to comfort them and give them some assistance while they're in a place of bondage all right so this next one is I think really touching to me because of the context surrounding it, and that is Mark. Mark is there with Paul. 
And why he just has a single syllable name and all these others are hard to spit out, uh, I don't know, but Mark is uh, an easy one for us. I don't think we can get that name wrong. But that's not the point here. (laughs) Mark is the cousin of Barnabas, and it says, concerning whom you have received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. You know, uh, all of us probably have experienced this with family members or with friends. When they are at odds with one another, then there's always that tension, and you almost just hate to be in the situation where they're together, or maybe they just refuse to be together, but it always just really weighs on you, and it affects your heart, and you want reconciliation between those family members or between those friends, and this must have been for some, I think, in the early church as it concerned Paul and Mark. But here we see that Mark is now with Paul, and this is significant because we read in the book of Acts that Mark was not taken along on a missionary journey because in the previous one, he had stepped aside because, maybe because of the persecutions that were going on, but Paul remembered that, and it led to what was called a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas in the book of Acts. And let's go ahead and look at that account rather than just me paraphrasing it because we can see this disagreement that arises and it's because Mark had more or less deserted them during their first missionary journey. And Paul didn't want that to happen again. In Acts chapter 13, verse 13, Acts 13, 13, There it says, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. And you may not think that's of much significance because we're not given the reason that John left, but he did depart from them and he went back to Jerusalem. He didn't continue in this missionary journey with them. But because of this, and I think we learned that it's probably for pretty serious reasons, and Paul took a, took a little bit of umbrage about it, um, because of this, there was a sharp disagreement later on between Paul and Barnabas before they started the second missionary journey. And if you move ahead with me in the book of Acts to chapter 15, I'm going to confine it more to 37 through 40 where we see this. Acts 15, 37 through 40. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Okay, so he's referred to as different names here. So we know that Mark we're reading about is actually John who is called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So we see that Paul was still a little soured by that. And then in verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And now, here in Colossians, Paul is saying Mark, who we know is the cousin of Barnabas, so we know it's the right Mark that we're talking about, the same one that we're reading about here in Acts, saying concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And I don't know about you, but I love stories of reconciliation and the most significant being our reconciliation to God by faith in Jesus Christ through salvation but here when two people who were once at odds with one another to the point where it drove them apart 
Here they're reconciled, and the fact that Mark is mentioned here in Colossians being with Paul gives us clear evidence that he and Mark were reconciled. And since Colossians is later into the timeline of Paul's life and ministry coming after Acts. And Paul also brings up Mark in the closing of his letter to Timothy, and he has this to say about him in 2 Timothy 4.11, Luke alone is with me, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. A very clear change of heart about Mark, going from, I don't want him with us, to get Mark. He is useful for me. And this is why we don't skip the closing of letters with all the names, and why it's important to see things in the context with other scriptures. And I get a great amount of encouragement by seeing stories like this of reconciliation and second chances, and that God heals and that he restores individuals, and we don't give up on each other that we seek to reconcile if a brother or a sister in Christ has offended us and know that God gives second chances for service such that Mark would be later be used to write one of the gospels that we have in our scriptures. Paul tells the Colossians in his letter that they have had to receive these instructions that they are to welcome him, they're to welcome Mark. And we are not told why these instructions were given to them ahead of time but most scholars think that the instructions were to not hold anything against Mark due to his past failures, but to be sure and to welcome him. Don't hold these things over him. All right, look at verse 11 with me. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Jesus, who is called Justice, is only mentioned here in Scripture, so it's difficult to draw any conclusions, conclusions about him other than he is Jewish and with Paul and that he, along with the previous ones mentioned, is a comfort to Paul and he is a fellow worker in the kingdom. And Paul describes these three men as the only ones who were of the circumcision, meaning they were the fellow Jews by heritage with Paul. And because Paul was a Jew, he would go into the, city on his, in the cities on his missionary journeys, and there he would find first the synagogues. Those were his fellow Jewish countrymen, and he would go and he would share the gospel with them first, how Jesus Christ was truly their Messiah. And speaking of that from the Old Testament scriptures and bringing that all together for them. And it says that many believed because of Paul's message in the, in the synagogues, but there were also many that did not believe. And by this time, I don't know Paul if he's lamenting here that only three other Jew fellow countrymen are with me here, or if he is actually um, drawing encouragement from that, that there are those that were part of his early ministry that are here with him, and from that he takes great encouragement. I tend to want to view it that way, um, and rather than him looking at it as a past failure. These are all the numbers that are gone, and here are the only ones that are here with me, but rather these are the ones that are with me. These are the ones that are faithful and God is showing me that he is continuing to save and preserve those who are his. So maybe it was, a, I think it better was a reminder of that. You know, I was sharing a story not long ago about um, mine and Jody's previous experiences, the church ministry and you know, being part of these huge youth gatherings that were held in other towns and they brought together all these big name Christian bands and they would you know, sing their famous songs, the ones that were heard on radios and they would really work the kids up you know, into this emotional lather and then they would have this really charismatic speaker come out and preach a message and maybe it was salvation, sometimes it was kind of questionable but as long as they got hundreds if not thousands of Christian kids or kids to come up there and say you know, that they put their faith in Jesus Christ 
Christ and then they would go back and talk to someone and put their name down on the card and almost saying that that's your guaranteed salvation. You know, I, I've stepped away from that since uh, seeing that, you know, what, what were we really doing there? Was it of any, any effect? And I'm not saying that, you know, all those who came up front were not saved, but what I, I can get discouraged, I guess is what I'm saying, when I look back on many of the hundreds that I knew, the hundreds that we even took up there from our own churches, and then look today at those who are truly following and serving their Lord. And some of those, of those many, have totally walked away from the faith. Some of those are just really lukewarm, and you kind of question whether they truly were saved or not. But then the two or three... <laughs> that God has given us that are truly serving and following the Lord, I believe that God has given us those to focus on and be encouraged by that. You know, don't lose heart because of all the others, but take courage and hope because here are those that did. Here are those who have professed a saving faith, and it's worth it. Verse 12 and 13 now. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Uh, if you were here when we started our study of Colossians, Epaphras was the one who pastored the church in Colossae. We see that at the beginning um, Chapter one of this you have heard before in the word of truth, that's verse five, the gospel which has come to you as indeed to the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a minister, a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf has made known to us your love in the spirit. So Epaphras was the one who founded the church in Colossae and was very likely the pastor there and he is described as a servant of Christ Jesus or better yet, a bond slave, I think is a better translation of that word. Um, this is also used, this bond slave uh, reference is used to describe Tychicus as well and also Paul uses it of himself. Epaphras, Epaphras's, almost did it, Epaphras, Epaphras's <laughs> commitment to his church is evident in the type of prayer that he brings on their behalf. That, that word struggling that Paul uses to describe his prayers for the church in Colossae is the Greek word agonizomai, agonizomai, and that is where we get our English word agonize from. And we spent a lot of time talking about prayer last week in the message and the importance of this devoted type of prayer. And that is a devoted prayer that Epaphras is offering for the church in Colossae that he is going and he is agonizing with them through prayer, praying for their protection from false doctrine, praying for their salvation. And we were given a sample by Paul of what his agonizing prayer was for them. And that was that they may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. The word for mature there could also be translated complete or fully developed. Epaphras, like Paul, wanted the Colossians to be mature and they wanted, he wanted them to be satisfied in the will of God no matter what situation that, that they were put in because of God's will. And only those who live in obedience to God's will can really grow in the fullness of Christ and can really be content. And Paul had a front row seat in observing this as he writes, for I bear him witness, speaking of Epaphras, that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. 
We only have a few more names, and I know we're going a little bit long, but uh, we're going to close out this letter this morning. Verse 14, another name here, one that's probably very familiar to us because it also is the name of one of our gospels, and that's Luke. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. So Luke, like Mark, wrote a gospel that bears his name and title, and he also authored the book of Acts. And we think of the length of those books. Um, second to Paul, Luke probably wrote the majority of the New Testament when you think about the, the book of Acts of the Apostles and the book of Luke. Um, interestingly enough, his name only appears here, and it's here only three, three times in Scripture. And none of them are in his actual gospel because of the person that he writes in. But we know that he was with Paul on his second missionary journey. And some believe it was because of Paul's recurring illness during that journey. Uh, Luke was a physician. And Luke probably ministered in a lot of ways to Paul's physical needs, though we're not really told that. I'm sure that he also was a great comfort and encourager to Paul. So in a spiritual sense, he was also there uh, for Paul. At any rate, Luke is mentioned by name here in the book of Colossians. We'll find it mentioned again in Philemon and then once more in 2 Timothy 4.11. Luke was very educated. As I mentioned, he was a physician. Um, And even his writings make him appear highly educated because of the literary style that he uses and the quality of his Greek that is found in his writings. But not much is really known about Luke's background. I'm sure Luke could have wrote a biography of himself, but he didn't care that you knew about him. He cared that you knew about Jesus Christ. And that's what's important here. Um, You know, we can draw some speculation from historical writings about his life, but uh, it is just that speculation. Uh, None of it's bad about Luke. Uh, But Luke was important to Paul, and he was one of his most faithful companions. And sometimes I hear about those who go into the mission field that really that have their medical PhDs that are licensed physicians, and they give up a, a lucrative practice and all the wealth that can be attained from being a doctor, and they give it up in service to the Lord. They go out into the mission field so that they can bring healing and, and mercy to others through their hands and be used of God. And that, those people remind me of, of a Luke where Luke had an opportunity probably even in that day to have a very thriving and a lucrative practice as a physician. Many would come to him and maybe he could uh, write them some, some prescriptions and stuff, but that was not Luke. His heart was about the gospel. And then the last one that we hear about and we close um, out these names, there is one more that's mentioned, but, but Demas is the last name mentioned here in this list. And Paul has a greeting from him to the church. But one of the things that Demas reminds us of is that a community of believers also has people who can hurt us and people that can inflict wounds. You know, maybe it's emotionally, maybe it's spiritually. And Demas was one of those to Paul. And we don't see that here, of course. It's kind of sad that we have to look at it, but we need to know that this is the reality of us all that we have also Judas mentioned to us in scripture and, and we know what he was responsible for, not anything good. Second Timothy was likely the last letter that was written by Paul and this was shortly before his execution and it is sad that Paul in that letter has this to say about Demas and it's found in Second Timothy 4, 9 through 10. So Second Timothy being written after Colossians and Colossians Um, Paul's listing him along with the other faithful as being there serving alongside him. But when it comes to 
Paul facing his final days and his final moments. He says in verse nine of 2 Timothy 4, do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So Demas fell in love with the things of this world and he left Paul in his greatest need. It seemed that Demas was lured in by the attractions of the world and then he abandoned Paul when he needed the comfort the most. And ministry is hard. And this is one of those things that tells us that if we look at it in context. And there are no promises from scripture that uh, we're going to have a life of ease in the ministry. In fact, sometimes it gets harder for us. But God is the one who sustains us and strengthens us and provides us and he brings people into our lives that can be a comfort and encouragement to us. But Demas was not one of those in Paul's life as we learn later. So it can be a comfort to see that the most effective ministry will have those that will leave and abandon the work of the ministry. Oh, it's easy to get discouraged and just want to I throw it all away if you have someone that is serving alongside you suddenly, maybe they leave the faith or maybe they just abandon you and they're, they're no longer there to help support you in your ministry. But if we look to people to be the strength and the thing that sustained us through the ministry, then stories like this would cause our faith to, to crumble and start to crater, but we don't put our faith and our hope in people and this is why we see instances and that's what they're there for as examples of how men can fail us we need to come back to putting our focus on the lord jesus christ jesus had judas and others that had left him and paul had demas and scripture is giving us truth and it doesn't try to paint a better portrait of man's sin nature uh, like other books might try to do All right, let's close this out here, verses 15 through to the end, and that's verse 18. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house, and when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So there's closing remarks here from Paul asking that they give his greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and then Paul directs it one to one specific individual there and that is Nympha and to her church in her house. And there are some manuscripts that use the masculine form of the name here and that's rather than Nympha, Nymphus and the concurring pronoun his. So there's some uncertainty. Is this the, a female in the church who is leading a, or has a church in her home, has a home fellowship going on, or is it male? Um, there's uncertainty about that. Scholars debate, but the important thing is, is that we know that there is a church there. It's being led by someone, um, and that may have been in a, in a woman's house or a man's house, um, and then that was the church in Laodicea and also one in Hierapolis. So we shouldn't get wound up too much about that and try to figure out who has the right interpretation here that's, that's not going to steer us into a false doctrine, whether we believe it's Nympha or Nymphus. Uh, we don't find any megachurches in Scripture, I think, is one of the things I see here. Only small gatherings that were meeting in people's homes and perhaps some synagogues that had been converted into Christian churches, but for the most part, everywhere in the book of Acts, they were established in professing believers' households. 
And I'm not saying that churches over 500 or even over 1,000 people are bad, but there seems to be something that is lost in that community feeling of believers that can know each other's names, you know, can know each other's circumstances and what they're going through and can lift up individual needs that come to them. It's a lot easier to do that in a smaller community and minister to those needs uh, than it is to do in a larger setting. And so that's just speaking from my own experience again, not trashing, you know, large churches. I want us to be whatever God wants us to be but I don't want us to ever lose the sense of connection with each other and the bond of fellowship that feels like family. Now, we've grown in relationships with some of you, and I you know, call you all brothers and sisters of Christ, those who are truly in the faith, but uh, for some of you, you know, we've developed even a further connection. I, wish, I want to do that with everybody. I want to be intentional in that and building that community. I think that's an encouragement for, for all of us and something we can all be better at. Everyone knew everybody, and I think that is important. And they were intentional in their getting to know one another. Paul is asking them to share their letters between the churches. The church in Colossae was to share and read their letter to the church in Laodicea, and the Laodicean church was to do the same with them. Um, we don't have a church, or we don't have a letter called Laodicea, and there's another thing that scholars are in debate about, uh, but most believe that the Laodicea letter is actually the church in Ephesus, which is the letter of Ephesians. So it's not a lost letter, or it's not some letter that was part of the Apocrypha uh, and didn't make canon, but this is probably the letter to the Ephesians that is to be read in Colossae, and then Colossians is supposed to be read in Ephesus. Um, however, many believe Paul is actually referring here to the book of Ephesians, and that's what I tend to agree with. One guy is being singled out, Archippus, <laughs> and they are to say something especially to him, and that is interesting. He says, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord, and this is in no way, I believe, to embarrass Aristarchus, but it is to encourage him, and we are not told what that ministry is, but no one in Paul's company was without a task. Everyone within the church had something that they were doing. You know, Tychicus and Onesimus were supposed to be delivering this letter. They were supposed to be giving an account of Paul. We have others that were bringing encouragement and bringing comfort, serving alongside Paul. And it seems that maybe Archippus was gifted in something or maybe he was praying about a specific thing that maybe God was calling in into a specific ministry and he's just telling the believers there, listen, encourage Archippus in this. This is something that I see in him and this is something we need to encourage in him and he's gonna use it as a gift of, of service to the Lord. Then Paul mentions again that he is in chains and I think this was to remind them to be bold in sharing the gospel. And Paul was a tremendous example of that. And maybe this was his way of encouraging them in that. Don't be discouraged that I'm in chains, but be encouraged because I'm in chains. This is where God's providence has led me. And one of the reasons he included the mention of his chains was to remind them that be bold in your witness, just as I was. I'm in chains because of it, but I still shared the gospel regardless of what it was going to cost me. And then he ends with grace to be with you, and that is also typical of Paul's letters and it's just like a closing prayer. He wanted God's unmerited favor to be with all of them. And his letters would almost always open with grace to you and also close with grace be to you. So just some closing thoughts here that I wanted to share, and that is that I am thankful that I do not serve God alone, that I am not in this alone. You know, Paul was not in, in his own little space serving Christ 
alone. He had other believers with him, serving alongside of him. Leaders are more effective by those who help them. We see that with Paul. Proverbs 27, 17 says that iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Paul never ministered alone, and although he was a prisoner as he writes Colossians, he's still, he's not there alone. The eight people he names here are not all well-known figures. Each was, though, a special person to Paul, and each was willing to pay the price of associating with a prisoner. And if we look at some application points, we could ask these questions of ourselves. What would be written of me? I hope we would not be seen as a Demas who abandoned Paul in the end, but we could ask ourselves, am I an encourager? We see Paul mention that of several here. Can others look to me for comfort in difficult times? Am I willing to serve at the cost of giving up a lifestyle that is prosperous in order to effectively minister to my brothers and sisters in Christ? Is my checkered past causing me not to serve as I should? Am I holding on to a time where I let others down and not realizing that God gives second chances? All good questions to ask ourselves that I think the most important thing to ask ourselves is do I have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have I looked by faith at his atoning work on the cross as having bought my forgiveness, having satisfied the wrath of God that was directed towards my sin once and for all? And have I repented of my sin and asked for his forgiveness? Am I living a life that is rooted by faith in a resurrected, death-defeating Savior and Lord? Am I now serving out of love for my Savior and desiring to glorify his name? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you just that your word is effective in our life to do what only it is able to do. God, it is your truth to us, and I pray that we would take things from what we've learned today as we've looked at these names that are really important. You mentioned them in scripture, so they're not for just taking up room on uh, parchment paper, but Lord, they're here for our benefit. Thank you for uh, these that live faithful lives that served in the ministries and served to the best of their abilities, and of course, with the exception of Demas, but uh, we see so many examples of those who were encouragers, those who uh, instructed, those who taught, those who struggled in prayer for other believers, those who ministered to Paul in his time of need and served him regardless of the cost. And we wanna be that to other believers in the community that you have given us. Thank you for those here at Carlsbad Bible Church. Help us to be more intentional about looking to each other's needs and seeing how we can serve them. And also sometimes it's hard, Lord, to receive ministry from others to receive service from others so help us to be open to recognize when we need help and not be afraid to ask for it and to also accept it when it is offered god and thank you for not leaving us in this alone uh, just uh, thank you that you've provided a way for us through your son jesus christ and in him we have we are unified we are held together in the bond of love and the bond of peace and God, it was just such a remarkable thing that you have done for us and you've provided to us through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and also what he has given us through life that is conquering death. And God, that we have that hope of heaven and we ask that we would just serve others with you being the center of our everything, that the thing that motivates us, God, towards faithful living and serving. Thank you for those here that are gathered um, to listen to your word and that the things that we heard of you and learned here today were of truth and really of you, God. And if there's anything that I said in error that you would just take that thought away and just replace it with the things that really are of you, God. 
And we pray that you will just continue with us this day and uh, bring us back together this evening for those of us who will be taking part in the study and you would just continue to instruct our hearts, Lord, and we'd be faithful to it. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah.